Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. next to last week of Hebrews. We're almost done with this series. What you don't know is I had another series planned throughout the summer and I canceled it because I just got into this text and it was about twice as long as I originally thought it was going to be, okay? But it's also when the Lord moves like that. Uh, this one, to be honest with you, we'll see how it goes. This text, this, this message, I got about halfway to two-thirds of the way through a couple of times and just deleted the whole thing. When I read Hebrews 11, it's like the, I think it's Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. He calls the author, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but he calls the author the preacher. And man, it comes through in Hebrews 11. I almost just want to sit here and read the passage and go home because you feel the sermon. You feel the message coming from the author as he lays out what faith is. And then he looks at all these people from the Old Testament, all these amazing stories of faithfulness of, of the people of God and how God moved, and how they were faithful, and, and I mean, he punches it at the end with looking at Jesus, and it's just so powerful, and as I wrote a message, it just never seemed to come across with the weight that the scripture comes across, so um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for your word. You are holy. You are worthy of it all, and I pray that you would continue to make yourself known as we dive into your holy text today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Atlanta, we have the College Football Hall of Fame. Now, it's pretty cool that you, we live near somewhere that has a Hall of Fame because those are places like if you've, I've been to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but there's like t other Hall of Fames that I would love to go to, but they're just too far away. But thankfully, we have the, the College Football Hall of Fame here close by. A few years ago, we got to go. It's a really great experience. Um, right now, it's a really great experience if you're a fan of the team that shall be unnamed because they recently won two really big games in the last couple Yay! of years. <laughs> hey, that's enough of that. All right. Uh, <laughs> so you can go and you can see dis displays from, those, from that team and that, those games. Now, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, you have to go and see things from further back. But you can go, <laughs> and they have, they have things from Bobby Dodd and, they, and Heisman, who both coached at Georgia Tech, okay? But it's a really neat experience. You get to walk through this place, and not only do they have experiences where you can, like, uh, 
kick a football or run on a field. As You can see helmets from all these teams. But you can go through and you get to read about these amazing players and coaches who were greats in, the, in college football. And so what we have here, you've probably heard this text called this before, but we have what's called the Hall of Faith, Hall of Faith, right? So you've got a list of all of these people, all of these champions, and we look at how they have been faithful, and the text kind of elevates them as examples of faithfulness. And you've got to think, we've been looking through this whole book of Hebrews that has been over and over again telling us to persevere, to keep the faith, to keep moving on. And so here we have the text calling up and the images and the stories of these people to, to give us that same message, to keep moving, to keep on keeping on, all right? You're not the first person to travel the road that you're on. You're not the first person to face these challenges. You're not the first person to have these problems and difficulties, that there are people throughout your history as a believer who have had these same doubts and struggles. We know that the, the readers of this letter, the original, were facing persecution. They had family members who looked down on them because they followed this Jesus guy. They were facing doubt. They were facing hardships. All of these were pulling these followers of Christ, trying to pull them away from following him. Attacks from the enemy, trying to get these Christians to abandon their faith. Hebrews has been over and over and over again a cry that Jesus is better. Better than angels, better than Abraham, better than Moses, better than the law. It gives us a better covenant. He is better than even your circumstances. And persevering faith is your ticket into the better life. Not easier life, but better life. And the author locks in on faithfulness as the way of accessing that better life. It says in verse 1, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. We talked a couple weeks ago about how hope is the anchor of the soul. And here we see that faith is the anchor of hope. Faith is, is, is the reality of hope. It's the proof of what is not seen. Now, what does that even mean? Right? Like I read that like faith, proof of not what's seen. Faith is being confident about an expectation, even when there's no physical reality of that expectation yet. Here's what I mean. You don't see what you're expecting, but you are still confident about that expectation. Now, how are you confident about an expectation if you haven't seen it yet? Your faith is not about you, but the faith is about the object of your faith. If you want to be confident by faith, you have to have an object that is worthy of your confidence. Now, I hate lawn chairs. Anybody with me? Okay. Now, I'm a big guy, and they're not all made for big guys. It started with those little white plastic chairs. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm at a campsite with some friends. We're all sitting in these white plastic chairs. I don't know if it was the heat from the fire or the weight of my derriere, but what happened is that white chair decided it was going to throw in the towel and quit working, all right? And it was slow motion, all right? The leg kind of bent, and this, and, it bent, and I'm in high school with high school friends, okay? So just imagine the hit that my ego took, okay? And the back leg was like, okay, I'm done, and slowly began to bend outwards, and I just, boom, fall down right there in the circle, everybody looking at me, and it damaged me permanently, okay? <laughs> Not physically, but emotionally, <laughs> 
And now I do not sit down in one of these white chairs without going like this. Super slow. Okay. But it's not just the white chairs. You know the folding baseball chairs you see yeah. in the baseball field? Okay. Well, I had one, and it, you know, it was good for me for a long time, but it began to kind of dry rot. And so one day I'm sitting there at some kind of event. I think it was like a family function or nothing. I'm sitting in this chair, and the fabric gives way. And so not the legs, but the fabric. So now my butt goes straight down and I'm sitting in, and I'm trapped in the legs of this chair. Okay, stop laughing, okay? It's not funny. I have to, I have to literally fall over and wiggle out in order to get out of this thing, okay? Miserable. It's, it doesn't stop there. Metal chairs, okay? Youth room, you guys remember? I don't know if you grew up in a youth group when they had the metal chairs that would be in a circle, all right? Well, I've sat in some old rusty metal chairs, and sure enough, one of them just, the lip of it just went straight down, and I slid down it like a slide, sitting in the floor, okay? I do not trust your folding chair. I do not trust your portable chair. I don't care what kind it is. It it is not worthy of my confidence, okay? I will not confidently sit down in a portable chair ever, all right? It is always a ginger, ginger, hope this stays, and even then, once I'm down and it's got on my weight... There's no wiggling around, all right? If you're uncomfortable, you just stay stay uncomfortable, right? Because you gotta, if you're going to have confidence, the object of your faith has to be trustworthy. Uh, Tony Evans, when he kind of illustrates this point, he talks about how he was uh, flying to Iowa, and his wife was going with him, and then they saw that their plane was one of those small twin propeller planes that, you know, that holds like eight to 12 people, and his wife was like, I'm not going, <laughs> And so he was like, you have little faith. And she's like, it's because you have a little plane, all right? So then he's like, okay, all right. So they, they change their tickets around. They end up flying with a different airline, and they get on a bigger plane. And she's like, okay, I'll go now. And he said, your faith grew. And she's like, it's because your plane grew, all right? The thing, the object of our faith, it gives us confidence because it is worthy of that confidence. So if if faith is the anchor of hope, it's the backbone of hope that allows us to persevere and access that better life, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is the God of the Bible, is the God that we come to church to worship, is the God that we serve worthy of our confidence? Is he worthy of our faith? Now let's skip the whole chapter 11 at this point and go ahead and go to the point of it all in in 12. When it says that therefore we should persevere in faith. And then in verse chapter 2 it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Is he worthy of our confidence? It says, for the joy sat before him, he endured the cross. What is that joy? That joy that he sat before him was accomplishing the will of his father. That was saving you. The joy of saving you is what gave him the strength to endure the hideous, shameful, torturous death of the cross. As he was mocked, as he was spit on, as he had nails driven through his hands and ankles, his mind was not on his pain. His mind was not on his suffering. It was not asking the question, why am I going through this? I'm innocent. 
He would bring life to those who followed him. His mind was on the sinner. His mind was on you because he knew that his suffering would bring you life. And that joy sat before him is what allowed him to endure the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that is an object worthy of my faith. The text continued on and says he sits at the right hand of the Father. When, the, when Hebrews says this, it's calling in not just the crucifixion, not just the death of Jesus, but the fact that Jesus literally did the impossible and raised from the dead. He defeated the grave. It did not hold him. And then he ascended into heaven where he is the king of the cosmos for all of eternity. So death could not hold him. He did the impossible, and that gives us the power to live the abundant life. I don't know about you, but for me, that gives me the confidence to live a faithful life, even though there's things that have not, even promises that have not come into fruition yet. We, I can have a confidence in him because he went to the cross, he died, he rose again and ascended into heaven for me. That is an object worthy of my trust. From the very beginning of this chapter, the author wants us to understand that faith is not just a certain kind of religious attitude. It's not just sharing Jesus memes on Facebook or going to church on Sunday or talking about Jesus at work. Listen, I'm not against any of those things. In fact, you should probably do. You should probably talk about Jesus at work. But it's more than just a religious attitude. It's bigger than just believing in difficult or impossible things for the sake of it. No, this faith is a great faith because of the object of it. It is of great faith because it is the, ob- the object of that faith is the triune God. It's a faith that hears and believes the promise of God. And to quote N.T. Wright, it's the guaranteed word from the world's creator that he is also the world's redeemer. So after laying this foundation, the author comes up and he, he lists, or they list all of these uh, Faithful people, right? Hebrews gets, he gets this line of people in the hall of faith, this line of champions. And he wants us to go in and know and read and understand from the beginning these stories that it, it just gives you a little, a little clip of the story. But it wants the reader, as you read it and hear this clip, to go back to the Old Testament and know the stories of each of these individuals that it talks about. Now, the way to unpack this text is to go in and unpack each and every story. We ain't got that kind of time today, all right? I've seen churches have whole series 11 weeks long on chapter 11, okay? You could go that deep into it. We're not going to do that. The good news is, good news is, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series. Where we're going to be kind of unpacking the, the old Sunday school stories that you grew up with, the flannel graph, right? Lucinda's going to kick that off in a couple of weeks. But we're going to, some of these people that we talk about here... We're going to go into more depth in that series. Not all of them, but some of them. So be here for that. It starts in two weeks, I think, all right? But for today, what I want to do is I want to challenge you to go home. I want to challenge you to go home and read 11 in its entirety. And it underline every time you see one of these names. And then go back and read their story. It might take you a couple weeks because there's a lot of names listed, Okay. But read their story and see how God acted faithfully in their life and how they acted faithfully sometimes in return. We'll get there, okay? What I want to do today is I want to kind of go in and quickly unpack a couple of things that I noticed when reading through and and understanding the stories of each of these individuals. 
We're not gonna go through all of them, but there's some of them. I think there's a couple things that we can pull out of the truth of these people, these champions who are listed in the hall of faith. The first one is this, great faith does not equal an easy life. And the, the very first person listed in our story, in, our, in the hall of faith here is Abel. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. And when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Abel had the faith to worship God by giving him the very best Abel had to offer. Abel had a faith that he knew that God was sovereign over all and that everything Abel had or would ever gain was going to be from the provision of the Lord. So when it came time to offer worship up to God of the Bible, he gave his absolute best. And God saw that. This is what giving is. Like, we don't do a whole lot of like, this is our time for giving. We don't pass the offering plates. We do have boxes in the back and we have where you can give online. But giving is not about how much you give or how often you give. Giving is about your heart. Is God truly your everything? One of the reasons the church talks about tithing is because when you tithe, you are saying that I trust God with my finances. So you give him the first of what you get and as saying that, you know what, I can, you can do more with 90 than I can do with 10. But I don't talk about that a lot because I don't even want to fixate on the 10%. When you get to the New Testament, it talks about giving. It says to give everything, to live generously. It doesn't hone in on the 10%. So what I, I don't give 1%. I don't care how much or how often you give. I don't even care if you give to revive. I would encourage it, right? But you could give to a person that's broke down on the side of the road and needs some help. Because what matters is that you are joyfully giving to the Lord, that you are worshiping him and trusting him, and not just in your finances, but in every area of your life. And that's what Abel did. He said, you know what? I trust God to be my provider. He is worthy of all that I have. So I will give him the very best that I have. And you know what Abel got in return? He didn't get a new car He didn't get a fancy house or the boat. He didn't get a raise at his job. He was commended as righteousness, as righteous, and which I would argue is better than any of those things. And when God looked at him and commended him as righteous, his brother Cain became jealous and murdered him. Don't tell that to the prosperity preachers or the the pastors you sometimes see on TV, okay? They're not all bad. But some of them are like, hey, send in your money. We'll send you this towel and God will bless you. That's not how it works. Abel gave his very best and was murdered for it. Sometimes when you follow God and you listen and you obey, it leads you in to suffering. What about Noah? You think it was easy to build that giant boat? Okay, we don't know exactly how long it took him, but some say decades. That decades of intense labor. He didn't follow God and get this cushy CEO job, okay? He is working with his hands and he's working faithfully. There is, has been no rain. So he's also getting bullied and mocked because he's building this boat in a time where there's been no rain. Imagine how people are looking at him and judging him. Imagine how he's getting his family members to help him build this boat. And they're like, dad, why are you making us do this? It's not even raining. There's not going to be, a, what, are you, what is going on? But Noah acted in faith. And because of that, he faced mockery and hard work. 
And then talk about being on that boat. Okay, my family's got this uh, little cabin in Alabama that's on a lake. And growing up, we would go there for like, you know, three or four days. You couldn't go much longer than that because it had none of the amenities of life, okay? There was no internet. There was no TV. You had outdoor activities, camping, or we would sleep outside, so camping, even though we could have been inside. All right, there was uh, fishing, swimming, hiking, and we loved it. It was fantastic. But we went one time, and it rained every day. So I don't know if you've ever been stuck inside for four days with no internet or TV, all right? You can only play cranium so many times, all right? Monopoly can only last so long, and I know it lasts a long time, but you eventually run out of things to do, and you get cabin fever, and that was for four days. Now, we don't know exactly how long they were in the boat, but most people kind of think it was somewhere around a year. Imagine being confined in one space with your immediate family for a year, okay? Okay? I get it. Not an easy life, okay? Not an easy, not to mention on top of that, they're taking care of wild animals, all right? This is not, this is not easy, but the acting in faith, Noah obeyed and he did the hard thing. The text talks about Abraham, who was promised a homeland, but he lived as a foreigner in tents waiting on this inheritance that he actually never really saw. But he lived faithfully even into death. It talks about Moses, who could have been with the Egyptians and lived as royalty, getting whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it. But instead, he chose to be mistreated like his people. Following God does not always equal an easy life. In fact, so often it means suffering. It means a harder life. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Jesus was led into the trial by the Spirit. When we choose to surrender everything and follow the Holy Spirit and listen to his guidance and obey him, it's going to lead you into a harder life. There will be people, there will be family members who judge you for going to church. You will have friends who want to stop being friends with you because of your new lifestyle. When you follow the Holy Spirit, your life changes. It doesn't make it easier. Oftentimes, it makes it harder. It leads you into suffering. There's this really cheerful list at the end of chapter 11 where it says, other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking, flogging, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, and they wandered in the deserts and on the mountaintops, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Now, who wants to follow Jesus? It doesn't always equal a better life. But then the end there in chapter 39, or in verse 39, it says, and they were all approved through their faith. A faithful life does not mean an easy life without suffering. But what it does mean is that your suffering is not in vain. That this life of suffering, it's not just, I used to have a teacher, okay, in high school. And as, you know, high schoolers, we, you would always complain, no judgment to high schoolers. All right. <laughs> but we would complain, we're like, oh, we don't want to do this. This assignment sucks. And the teacher would be like, yeah, life sucks and then you die. All right. He said it over and over again. The good news is 
As a Christian, it's not life sucks and then you die. Because we know that in the end, there is a promise that is for a greater reward. We know that our suffering does not get the last word, but one day all suffering will be defeated. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says that, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and, they will be, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from, from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That is the promise that we have as believers. Look, your future is not uncertain. Look, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen later today. All right, I can't tell you what's going to happen in a few years. We're not fortune tellers. But what I can tell you is that your future is not uncertain. In the end, God will redeem all. At the beginning of that passage in Revelation, we see that the new city, Jerusalem, and the new heaven comes to earth. All is redeemed. We walk the streets with God in victory. There is no more death. And text even says when talking about Abraham in verse 10, it says that for he was looking forward to the city that has the foundations who architect and builder is God. When you are following Jesus, suffering will happen. But when you live in faithful obedience to the Holy Spirit, you are able to persevere in your faith. And one day you will walk the streets of that holy city. That is your future. That is how you live faithfully and persevere because we know there is a greater reward even if we can't see it right now. When you listen, will you listen and follow the Holy Spirit wherever he leads? I want to quote Tony Evans again when he's talking about this. He says that you know you have faith by your feet, not by your feelings. You know you have faith by your feet, not by your feelings. There will be times when you don't feel like following God. It will feel hard. It'll feel too scary. It'll feel too stupid. It will feel too uncomfortable. He will ask you to do things that take you out of your comfort zone and can be terrifying. But will you follow him anyway? That's how you know you have faith. You will follow God despite your feelings. Listen, your feelings, they matter but they're the caboose and faith is the engine. It's your feelings that follow your faith, not your faith that follows your feelings. Great faith does not equal an easy life, but will you persevere in that faith anyway? Not because of your own strength, but because of the object of your faith. Great, the second thing is great faith does not equal a flawless life. When you look back at these champions, when you look back at those listed in the hall of faith, you quickly realize that they weren't actually all that faithful. (laughs) One of the, the names listed is Sarah. Sarah believed faithfully that the power of God would open her womb. She was barren. She couldn't have children. And she receives this promise that he, that God will give her an offspring and she can't believe it. Literally, she can't believe it. 20 years goes by and she knows she's received this promise, but she hasn't had it come to, come to life yet. So she begins trying to figure out, okay, well, if God has given me this promise as it happened, I need to give Abraham his heir. So she kind of comes up with this plan and they work together and they decide that Abraham is going to sleep with the slave so that he can have an offspring. This is jacked up, okay? This is pure evil. He had power over her, okay? The Bible doesn't say it, but we can say it. This is rape, This is a terrible crime. Yet Abraham and Sarah 
are listed in this hall of faith. Moses, he could have lived like royalty, but he chose to be mistreated and that got him listed in this hall of faith. But oh yeah, he also refused to trust God when God called him to be there for the, to lead the people. He was supposed to lead the people, but he didn't have confidence in his speaking ability. And God told him over and over again, you know, I'll speak through you. You don't have to worry. And Moses didn't have faith that God would do that. So then God says, okay, well, we'll use Aaron. Moses was originally supposed to be the, the prophet and the priest. He was supposed to be both. But instead, God brought on Aaron because Moses didn't have the faith to listen and follow Moses also had a terrible temper, a horrible anger problem, causing him at one point to hit a rock and disobey God, which actually got him left out of the promised land. And before any of this ever took place, his anger raised up in him and caused him to murder an Egyptian. Rahab, she's listed in the hall of faith because she housed and protected God's people as they spied on the promised land in Jericho before they were able to enter it and and walk around it and cause it to collapse. And it says that she wasn't even an Israelite, but she was spared and she's listed in the hall of faith because she trusted the God of Israel and housed these spies. But oh yeah, her plaque in the hall of faith calls her a prostitute. It it, it says Rahab the prostitute and she's housed the spies. Now, I don't know why they had to do her like that. I mean, they could have just said Rahab. They didn't say Moses the murderer, and he had, that's great alliteration. But, but even in the Hall of Faith, she's, she's called the prostitute Rahab, and then it lists why she's listed in the Hall of Faith. Over and over again, we look and we see all of these heroes were actually not heroes at all. The point is this, all of these greats that are listed in the hall of faith, none of them were actually that great. They all had flaws, they all had sins, but the one thing they all had in common is they never lost their faith in the creator God. They remained faithful even into death that he would be their redeemer. Even when they fell short, even when they sinned, they knew that their God would save them. They didn't always say or do the right thing, but they did trust that in the end, God would remain faithful to redeem them. They're listed in the hall of faith. They were not perfect, but they trusted in the one who was. They were not great, but they trusted and served the one who was. They were not always trustworthy, but the object of their faith was. The point is, you and I, we can't let our past failures Keep us from future faith. Your behavior does not determine your salvation. Your faith does. Holiness is vital. Our obedience and following Christ is vital. Your holiness pleases God, but your holiness is not based on your strength. Your holiness is based on the one you have faith in. Hebrews 11.6 says, now, now without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot live holy without placing your faith in the God of the Bible. It is in his spirit, it is his spirit that allows us to live holy lives. These champions were not champions based on their own ability to, go, to do good works. They were champions because despite of their failures, they had faith that God would redeem them. And Christ does just that. John 10, 10, Jesus says that he has come that we may have an abundant life. The way into that life is through persevering faith. That's how you access that life. At work, we have uh, 
several doors that lead to the teller line. And all of those doors used the same key. It was also the key that would get us into the bathroom. Now we have people that come in like financial advisors and mortgage people. They come in and they're not allowed behind the teller line without like getting signed in and all this stuff. So they couldn't get the bathroom key because that would then allow them behind the line. So every time they'd come in, which was multiple times a week, they'd have to come ask somebody to let them in the bathroom. That could be really awkward, okay? So we were trying to figure out how do we solve this problem? What they did is they made the bathroom key the bathroom key, and they replaced the locks on all the other doors to have a passcode, all right? And the pass, I'm not telling you the passcode, okay? So the passcode now allows you access to the teller line. There's three doors. You can use this passcode, and you can get in. Persevering faith is the passcode that allows you to access the abundant life Jesus comes to bring. It's not based on your ability, but it's based on him. And when you have faithfulness in him, it gives you access to that life. And Hebrews wraps it all up going into chapter 12 and gives us the point of this hall of faith, gives us the point of elevating this persevering faith. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles you. Let us run with endurance that race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by all of these faithful people, the the faithful people that have gone before you, parents, grandparents, teachers, but not just that, it lists these people specifically in the Old Testament. You've got Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Moses' parents, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David. That's not even all the people that Hebrews 11 reaches. We have this great cloud of witnesses that don't give witness to their own faithfulness, but give witness to the faithfulness of the one that created them. And because of them, we are called to lay aside everything that is keeping you from following Jesus. Any excuse that you have set up, any barrier, anything that hinders your faith, set it aside. That sin that has you trapped, that keeps stealing your eyes from Jesus, throw it off. Run the race set before you. As difficult as it may be, as hard as it may get, keep pushing. Keep following. Keep going. Don't give up. Have faith that your reward will be there at the end of your road. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the one. He is the object of our faith. He is worthy of our trust. He is where we place our faith. Faith is the reality of hope. It's the backbone of hope. Therefore, persevere in that faith based not on your own strength, but on the strength of the object of your faith, namely Jesus. Let's pray.